Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. It is a great day in Texas agriculture, and I'm so glad you joined us for Texas Ag Today. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the piney woods of East Texas out to the rocky ranges of the Trans-Pecos, and from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. Feral hog control measures in the state legislature. I'm Tom Nicoletti, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. An AgriLife official from the Texas High Plains is bringing our region's perspective to a USDA task force. At the same time, he's broadening his own perspective on agriculture around the country. I'm James Hunt, and I'll have that story on Texas Ag Today. Sandbur or grassbur is a grass weed that is very troublesome in pastures and hay meadows throughout Texas. We will learn more about this weed coming up. I'm Dr. Vanessa Olson from Overton. We'll have those stories, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. But first, here's Jessica Domel with news headlines. Registration is now underway for the Ogallala Aquifer Virtual Summit. The event will be held online from 8 a.m. to noon, February 24th and 25th. The summit is designed to tackle issues faced by communities that rely on the declining Ogallala Aquifer. Speakers will discuss and identify actionable activities and priorities that could benefit producers, communities, and the aquifer. Advanced registration is required. Cost is $20 for farmers, ranchers, and students, and $40 for all others. A link to register is available on today.agrilife.org. That's today.agrilife.org. You can also visit ogallalawater.org. That is ogallalawater.org. As part of a regulatory freeze and review, the U.S. Department of Agriculture has temporarily halted application and payment processing for the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. CFAP provided aid to U.S. farmers and ranchers who suffered lost markets and lower commodity prices as a result of the coronavirus pandemic. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. My guest today is Dr. Zach Eater. He is U.S. Technology Development Manager for Advanta Seeds. He's based right here in Wharton County, Texas. And Zach, things got kicked off last fall with the introduction of iGrowth Sorghum. And we followed that up this week with the approval of Imiflex herbicide. Tell me about that new system. So the iGrowth technology is in our sorghum germplasm, uh, allowing for us to apply herbicide for the first time over the top to control grass uh, weeds throughout the season. So in 2020, we embarked on our official introduction to the marketplace and into the world of what we've been developing around uh, in other countries uh, into the United States. And we brought to the market uh, five different hybrids that are currently available for sale. And we'll be seeing the first commercial planting of those in Texas here in the, the coming days as we are at the end of January now. So that's been real exciting for us as Advanta since our core business is sorghum seed. And our parent company, UPL, has a global footprint of 
being a very large and very uh, innovative chemical company. And so working with that team, they've introduced the companion herbicide for that program, which is the Amazomox chemistry in the form of their product, Emiflex. We just got the label registration with the EPA and we're working with all our uh, different uh, state footprints to get the final registration for each of those states for the planting season that we're going into right now. Dr. Zach Eder with Advanta Seeds here in Texas. If you need more information on this new eye growth sorghum and the Imiflex herbicide, go to sorghumpotential.com. The wild hog problem in Texas continues to grow, so farmers and ranchers are hoping to get some help from the state legislature to deal with it. Tom Nicoletti has more. When it comes to feral hog control, farmers, ranchers, and rural Texas support legalizing reasonable chemical controls for feral hogs, uh, also supporting uh, the uh, maintaining all current legal methods of controlling feral hogs, which have exploded in the state of Texas. Approximately 2.5 million feral hogs are in rural, urban, and suburban Texas. To talk more about what might uh, occur in the Texas legislature, we go to Austin and Texas Farm Bureau Association. Associate Legislative Director Harold Stone joins us today. And uh, Harold, update us uh, on what is transpiring in regards to feral hog control. Thanks, Tom. We have a budget rider that is proposed for the appropriation bill in the bill patterns for the Texas Department of Agriculture and the A&M AgriLife Extension Service. And this budget rider prohibits the use of a warfarin-based feral hog toxicant that can be used to control the population growth of feral hogs. And so where does that go from here in regards to what uh, might occur on the uh, House and Senate floors later in the session? Well, we hope that the budget rider will be deleted from the bill patterns of the appropriation bill for these agencies, and that will allow them to spend appropriation money to research and certify these products that can be used for feral hog control by landowners. Now, certainly many of the state lawmakers are from urban areas of Texas, and may not be up to speed maybe on what's going on in rural Texas, but certainly these feral hogs are are creating damages uh, throughout the state, again, in urban, suburban, and rural Texas. So it's a problem for everyone. Yeah, Tom. Texas landowners, uh, the impact is estimated to be about $230 million annually in damages. On that appropriations bill, uh, what other specifics can you tell us about that, Harold, in regards to any uh, funding or uh, the next steps? The next steps would probably be a little advocacy work with our legislators to bring them up to speed on how important the deletion of these riders would be on the addition of that warfarin-based product to the toolbox to fight these feral hogs. Now, certainly reasonable chemical controls for feral hogs is something that uh, uh, many people have an interest in, and so uh, that is more or less the goal of this uh, appropriations process, right? Yes, sir. By allowing these products to be certified by the Department of Agriculture and research done on that, we hope to add that to the toolbox. Even though hunting is a reasonable control method, there's no way we can hunt ourselves out of this problem. And we don't want to inhibit any any means of control, whether it's hunting, trapping. We just want to be able to add another tool to the landowner to be able to manage this problem. Those comments again from Harold Stone, Texas Farm Bureau Associate Legislative Director in Austin. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.
A Texas High Plains ag researcher is looking forward to helping the federal government deal with agricultural air quality. James Hunt reports from Amarillo. As I've been reporting this week, Dr. Brent Overman of Texas A&M AgriLife has just been appointed to the USDA Task Force for Agricultural Air Quality Research. For Dr. Overman, who is Center Director for the AgriLife Research and Extension Center in Amarillo, joining the task force means he will now have a role in helping shape the research portfolio of the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Of course that's important to me in my position as a research director here at the Amarillo Center. It's important to me as a researcher myself. It's important to me as an administrator for the Texas A&M AgriLife organization generally. But it also provides an opportunity for me to weigh in on what I think is most important, not only in the state of Texas, but nationally. There's going to be a research agenda that doesn't involve Texas A&M. But the question that will be before me is, is it important enough in that particular region of the United States that it requires some sort of federal investment? While his appointment calls upon him to offer input to USDA on air quality science, Dr. Overman expects serving on the task force will broaden his own perspective as well. One of the great things about this is we are going to get exposed to agriculture as it plays out in different regions of the United States. And that's going to help us understand not only what the producers face, but also what the stakeholders, the neighbors, the regulated communities in and around agriculture, what they face as well. It's certainly good to have local representation on this task force, and I look forward to bringing you updates from Dr. Overman on the task force's work in the future. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Sandburrs or grass burrs can be a troublesome weed in Texas pastures. Dr. Vanessa Olson has more from East Texas. Most sandburrs are easily recognized at the mature stage of growth when the burr seed heads become apparent. The burr itself is a capsule that usually contains from one to three seeds. We tend to think of the sandburr species as a warm season annual plant. However, many sandburrs are classified as perennials because they can survive from one year to the next. The presence of sandburrs can be an indication of a weak stand of forage. Sandburrs are more tolerant of acidic, low-fertility soils than many of our warm-season forages. One of the best cultural control measures is to maintain a healthy stand of forage with proper management. Sandburrs can emerge throughout the spring and summer, and a flush of sandburr can often occur after a rain in late summer. Identifying sandburrs is key to chemical control. Unfortunately, most cannot identify a sand burr until it has produced the burr seed head. Check with your local county extension agent for identification guides. There are several herbicide products labeled for sand burr control in pastures and hay meadows. As with any herbicide application, timing is critical along with following label directions. There are some pre-emergent products labeled for Bermuda grass pastures and hay meadows. Check the labels of those products for timing recommendations. Ideally, for control with a post-emergent product, sandburrs need to be sprayed when plants are less than three inches in height in the late spring to early summer. Unfortunately, for bahia grass growers, there are no selective herbicides available for post-emergent control of sandburrs. For herbicide recommendations, refer to your local county extension agent. For rates and any restrictions, refer to product labels. This is Dr. Vanessa Olson with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension in Overton for Texas Ag Today. A Texas man's donation could help improve fishing for everyone. I'm Jessica Dolmel and I'll explain on Texas Ag Today. And a deadly disease in bobcats can be transmitted to your house cat. 
Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. There's a deadly disease in bobcats that can be transmitted to your house cat. Dr. Bob Judd tells how. Ticks are not as common on cats as dogs, but they do occur, and ticks can carry this deadly disease. The parasite that causes the disease is not transmittable from wild felids like bobcats to domestic cats directly, as a tick is required to transmit the disease. The disease also causes only mild to moderate illness in wild felids, but is usually deadly without treatment in domestic cats. Ticks feed on an infected wild cat, and then the parasite transitions from one life stage to another and becomes infectious while in the tick. The tick then feeds on a domestic cat and transmits the parasite. Within just a few days, the cat develops a high fever, lethargy, yellowing of the skin and mucous membranes, rapid heart rate, and dehydration. The parasite enters red blood cells, causing them to be damaged, and the spleen removes them from the circulation, causing the animal to be anemic. This disease can be very deadly as many cats will die from the disease in as little as 36 hours. There is a treatment for cats that drops the death rate to around 40% from 100% without treatment. However, the treatment is expensive and difficult to administer as the medication tastes really bad to cats. Cats that do survive can be chronic carriers and no drug has been shown to completely eliminate the carrier state and these carriers can be a source of the parasite for other cats. The only method to prevent this serious disease is to keep ticks off of your cats, and so all cats should be on a flea and tick medication. Keeping your cats inside will also help, but ticks can come inside your home on other animals or humans and infect your cats. I'm Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. A Texas man's donation could help improve fishing for everyone here in the Lone Star State. Jessica Domel explains in today's Wildlife Report. A second largemouth bass has been donated to the Toyota Sharelunker program to improve bass fishing in Texas. According to the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, angler C.J. Oates of Lago Vista reeled in the 13.02-pound lunker on Lake Austin the evening of January 14th. Oates said the bites started off slowly at the first five spots they visited, but around 9.30 that evening, he caught an 11.3-pound bass on a glide bait near a dock. Two casts later, he reeled in the catch of a lifetime. Oates contacted the Toyota Sharelunker program and donated the fish for selective spawning at the Texas Freshwater Fishery Center in Athens. The bass is the second legacy class entry of the 2021 season. Kyle Brookshire, Toyota Sharelunker program coordinator, says the Sharelunker program is off to a great start due to warmer-than-average weather patterns throughout the fall and winter. Anglers can donate largemouth bass that weigh more than 13 pounds through March for the breeding program. Anyone who catches a largemouth bass weighing 8 pounds or more can enter their catch data on the Sharelunker app or on texassharelunker.com through the end of the year. 
The Texas A&M AgriLife Extension Service will host an online seminar on bison and exotics February 2nd and 4th. The seminar is free and will be held on the Zoom platform at 6 p.m. each day. Speakers will discuss the difference between exotics and wildlife, the bison industry, bison research in Upshur County, fever ticks, and Nilgai research. Advanced registration is required. A link is available on today.agrilife.org. That is today.agrilife.org. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Domel. The cattle market took off to the upside on Friday morning. However, it did not stay there. Prices eroded throughout the day. We ended up closing lower, sharply lower on feeder cattle, probably because we had a big spike in grain prices once again on Friday. We'll update all of the livestock, cotton, grain, energy, and financial markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. know what to do if you're stuck on the railroad crossing? Get out of your vehicle. If a train is not approaching, find the blue and white emergency notification system sign on the traffic signs at the crossing. For help, call the number on the sign and give them the crossing number so they know your location and can alert train traffic. Remember, find the blue and white to save your life. For more information, visit OLI.org. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. It was quite interesting to watch the agricultural markets on Friday. We saw the cattle market take off to the upside, strongly higher prices throughout the morning. However, they did not last. We moved lower as we moved through the trading day, ended up closing lower across the board for live and feeder cattle. Feeder cattle were sharply lower, triple-digit losses there, mainly because another spike in grain prices on Friday. The fundamental factors continue to look great in this grain market and prices continue to march to the upside. And usually when you see that, you'll see some pressure on cattle prices. Let's run down the futures market. We'll start with live cattle. February down 95 cents, 115.05. The April down 85 at 121.85. June live cattle down $1.22, 117.60. March feeder cattle dropped 207, 137.72. The April down $1.92 at $140.75. May feeder cattle down $2, $142.37. Cash fed cattle market, kind of strange last week. A big standoff between the packers and the feedlots. We saw some early, very light trade at one twelve to 13 midweek, but not enough cattle really to make a market test. As we move through the week, the standoff continued. Had a report of a sale on Friday in Texas at one thirteen. Feedlots were still asking 114 to 116. So just a crazy kind of week as we have a big standoff. The futures market is still at a premium on the spot February contract to that 113 sale. So feedlots feel justified waiting to get higher money. Boxed beef prices continuing to climb. Another thing that's motivating the feedlots to hold out for more money. Boxed beef up $1.91 on the choice Friday at 233.90. Select up $1.55. 22243. Let's check the auction barns now. We're going to check the weekly sheep and goat market in San Angelo. Producers livestock auction. Of course, that's the nation's largest sheep and goat market. They sold 5,200 head of sheep and goats. Compared to the previous week, wooled feeder lambs sold $10 lower. Lightweight hair lambs, mostly 5 to 10 lower. 
Heavier weight hare lambs 10 to 20 lower, with some instances of 25 lower. Slaughter ewes sold fully steady to $5 higher. Kid goats steady to $10 higher. Slaughter nannies brought at $150 to $225, mostly $185 to $215. Mature billies $185 to $230. Wooled feeder lambs $215 to $335. Slaughter lambs, lighter weights bringing $275 to $360. Heavier weight slaughter lambs, $1.85 to $2.95. Slaughter ewes, $1 to $1.50, mostly $1.15 to $1.30. Kid goats, $2.60 to $4, mostly in the $3.40 to $3.80 range. Now back over to the futures market. Lean hogs were mixed. February down 15, 69.80. April hogs up 27, 76.65. Class 3 milk, steady to lower. January milk unchanged at 16.12, 100. February milk down 13 cents, 15.39 a hundredweight. Cotton and grains all closing higher on Friday. The biggest news in the market is China's appetite for U.S. corn. China buying a huge amount of U.S. corn last week. In fact, the Thursday sale report was the largest purchase on record. Overall for the week, 230 million bushels bought by China from the U.S., That helped to support corn prices, and that helped to lift all commodity prices, including cotton. March cotton up 71 points at 80.64, May up 71 at 81.84, December cotton up 19, 77.69. The wheat market seeing double-digit gains. Of course, when corn prices get higher, that makes wheat more competitive as a feed grain. So thoughts are that with these rising corn prices, that helps to lift the wheat market as well. July Kansas City wheat up 12 and three quarters, 638 and three quarters. July Chicago wheat up 11 and a half, 643 a bushel. March corn jumping 12 and a half, 547 a bushel. September corn up five and a quarter, 470 and a quarter. The energy market's lower. March natural gas down nine cents, 256. March crude oil down 15, 5219 a barrel. The financial markets lower Friday. The Dow Jones Industrial Average down 463 points, 30,139. The Nasdaq down 215 at 13,121. The S&P 500 down 56, 3,731. That wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up another edition of Texas Ag Today. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget, we'll be right back here next time to bring you all of the latest news in Texas agriculture. I'm Kerry Martin. Hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.